author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. Get your volume down, Don. Okay, <laughs> my volume down. Stand by. It's uh, we're te- always uh, having to, to get some technical difficulties worked out for Don. We've been working to get a guest on, and then I can't turn down the volume. All right. Okay. I, 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 I don't. I don't. Hear, I, <laughs> I don't hear it. It's fine. I don't hear it. That's fine. Uh, welcome to I Protest. It's Donald Jeffries here with you, and we're running about to almost twenty minutes late. So uh, you know that's sometimes that happens, as uh, Tony mentioned. Uh, Technical difficulties on my end to begin with, and uh, difficulties in getting our guests, which uh, this is two weeks in a row. I've tried to get Paul Craig Roberts on. Very big man, somebody I've admired for a long time. Uh, just, you know, a resume like, you know, you wouldn't believe. But um, make it happen. Lastly, I'm waiting for him to get back to me, but he apparently... Uh, his, uh, he has a Mac and he can't get the link. So we're trying to find out if he has a smartphone. We can send him that way, but he hasn't answered. So let's hope he does. So if he does, we'll have him on at some point. Otherwise, we'll just have to wing it. And of course, we'll have to wing it without YouTube. So I hope if you're listening out there, you'll go to the Rockfin chat and I can try to monitor it there. So let's, you know, let's see some people there and also freeworld.fm. Uh, nobody is, is commenting yet in the Rockfin chat. So especially if I don't have any guests, guys, I'd like to play off you. So if you're there, Please go in the uh, free world or Rockfin chat, freeworld.fm. Freeworld.fm is also out there. And I have a few people over there now. So let's see if we can get some comments there as well. And uh, hopefully, again, I'll, I got to keep my email. I can't monitor because I hopefully Paul Craig Roberts will still reply. He hasn't unless he just figures it's too late or something. But at any rate, here we stand. I guess, you know, we're this is. I don't know if Tony, if you can talk or not at all, but I mean, what your old state of Texas, um, boy, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, this is, do you think Greg Abbott is, is really finally suddenly developed a, <laughs> a backbone? I mean, he's the way he's talking. This is, you know, I'm, I'm conjuring up business visions of Jefferson Davis here. I mean, you know, 26 States have joined. I mean, can this really happen? Do you think these States really had the gumption or will they, pee their well, pants I, I once if they actually send show. some federal troops in there well i i think this is uh it's opportunistic for the republican party at, at this time because we are in an election year um and this is all going to play out over like basically it's it's completely laid over the the timeline for the election so uh i think it's uh you know advantageous for them to to strong arm and to do coalitions that's the way you handle it though the states have to handle this. This is uh, something that has to be yeah. the, the federal government is not going to secure the border. You have to over you have to stand up and nullify, override. Uh, and you have a constitutional duty to protect your state, especially if you're a border governor like Greg Abbott. And unfortunately, Greg, I don't think has any principles uh, other than I think the people are just absolutely fed up. I mean, if you throw through in a little bit of economic downturn and uncertainty, <clears throat> I think this whole thing goes off the rails for electoral politics mm-hmm. at this point. So 
uh, we're, we're just a crisis away from tar and feathering. I mean, that's that's how <laughs> that's close we are. I mean, Mike Bloomberg really got it right. Uh, that idiot, you know, for what he is, <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he spent like 100 million, I think, running for president. Nobody knows who he is. Uh, so um, but, you know, he's he got it right. He says we don't do something for the people. They're going to bring the guillotines. Well, this is where, yeah. you know, you know, my whole life since I've been eight years old, they've been running on the border, secure the border, secure the border. They never do. No. And so I think I think where we are now is the people are just so fed up. The crisis is so, you know, monumental. And uh, I don't think Greg Abbott really has a lot of choice but to play tough. I mean, he's been governor for 10 years. Yes. Yes. And uh, <laughs> it's time for him to go. Um, it's been I don't think it's ever time for him to be there because, you know, during COVID-1984, he did the, he gave 200 million dollars to a shell corporation in Frisco, Texas, to do contact tracing. Right. You know. That's the kind of guy he is. I remember, do you know who Tom Pawkin is, uh, Don? You ever heard of Tom Pawkin? Pat McKinnon no, wrote about him uh, in his books. Uh, no. Tom Pawkin was uh, the head of the Young Republicans in the 60s. Oh, okay. And uh, real influential in the, in the GOP. But he was a true, like, paleocon, kind of Pat Buchanan-esque. And I remember talking to, to Tom Pawkin. He's running for governor at the same time that uh, Greg Abbott was. And I said, what do you think about Abbott? And he goes, oh, total Carl Rove sellout neocon. The guys, you know, I mean, he did he didn't hesitate at all, pulled no punches. He's like, this is, he's, a, he goes, he's already got $68 million. And like, that was like in the beginning of the primary 2013 going into 2014. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how, I'm sure he's got what billions now or whatever they, they yeah, have, yeah, yeah. you know, to, to run the big state. So, um, you know, it's a mixed bag, but uh, Hey, whenever you see something's happening. So I, I you know, I, I don't want to be, a downer, but something's happening. Unfortunately, yeah. Greg Abbott already has the authority to secure the border. It's kind of like when Trump says, I, I got to wait for the yeah. funding to build the wall. I'm like, you're commander in chief. You order the military <laughs> to do it. Yes. Yes. You know, because you have, I mean, that's what the commander in chief does. You already have a budget. And then when you, when it, if the guy that you ordered to do it, doesn't do it, you fire them. I mean, you go down, if you had to go down yeah. to the janitor to, to do it, you do it. Yeah, and, and I, I'm um, I'm writing the Trump section. I still may take your title right on cue, and I I don't know if I if I have enough interest in Trump to write an entire book about him, that probably would be better for sales. Just an entire book about the Trump phenomenon. And right now, I've got it into what is hidden history for, but just writing it all, it's just it's phenomenal to look back on it. I, I was reading the comments uh, that Sidney Powell gave, uh, you know, release the Kraken. Uh, oh, here's Paul. Hold on a second. It says, "Oh yeah, he has a number, Tony." So let me let me. Okay. Uh, well, here we're, all right. Well, so I'll, what you got to do, Don, so we don't give Paul's number away. You need to right, put I'll it text in the it. chat or I'll, <laughs> I'll text you it to you. Text absolutely. His number, okay. So, yeah, so you can just talk for a second. Right, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll give you some background so we don't have dead air. Uh, by the way, Don is broadcasting on FreeWorld.fm, and um, that is our lifeboat for free speech that all of us are building. We appreciate your support. Uh, go over to freeworld.fm if you're hearing my voice on Don's podcast or any of his channels. Uh, that's going to be, in the future, pretty much uh, guaranteed that you're going to hear lots of Don Jeffrey's uh, amazing content. I've been, you know, Don has so much to talk about. I just need, I need to come on here on your shows, Don, and we just need to talk on Fridays. I need to get you rolling. Yeah. Give yeah. you a jumping off point, And that way we don't have any technical... What's funny because I almost never have technical difficulties on my part, but you're, um, it was funny today. <laughs> it just kind of follows me around. You were messing back and forth between the uh, giving links to, to Paul. 
and uh, somehow the, your music got like it's like hidden. Like I tried, I even just tried to animate it, and it like all, I could only push button, but I couldn't make the volume turn down. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I I texted you his uh, number, so hopefully it'll work. So hope we're gonna get Paul Craig Roberts on here. So never give up hope. Better better late than ever. But uh, yeah, I'll be anxious to see what he thinks. Uh, um, of this, yeah, pod, you know, this should, this should be right up his alley. But well, uh, he was this, part of the the Reagan administration. If I'm not yes, mistaken. he was. Yes, he was. He was, but and uh, so I mean, the guy just looking at the guy's resume. I mean, you know, it's just it's well, amazing. He's talking to somebody like me. <laughs> every Republican I've ever heard of since I was since the Reagan administration, uh, since I was eight uh, or so, was like, "Hey, we're going to secure that border." Yes, you know, back yep. before the internet. You know, and now we're in 2024 on you know, on the br brink of the Great Reset, total demographic replacement. I got you know, we got some pasty. Uh, for you know, frat boy that got hoisted <laughs> up into power in Texas, you know, going and I'm talking, I'm, that's a broad, I just painted a broad spectrum of what kind of people are in the Republican Party, the leaders in the Republican Party yes, in Texas. Yes. I mean, you need to drill down to who these guys are. I know the guy in my home yeah. district I went to school with, uh, awful. I mean, <laughs> awful. So well, that's why they called it, and that's why I was saying when I was, when I was writing that section on Trump, just looking at. The stuff that he did, and, and Sydney Powell, when she was interviewed by Dinesh D'Souza, I guess a couple of years ago, she just, I mean, you know, she talked about how, you know, Trump, they wouldn't let him do anything and he wouldn't do anything. So there's so much he could have done. He had the authority and he wouldn't do it. So I think it, at least behind the scenes, that seems to be what she was telling him. And then, of course, she, you know, eventually made a deal recently, as Jenna Ellis, all of them did. Now, Giuliani's left out of wing, but this is. You know, this was what happens when you have that's why I keep telling people, you know, it, it's if only Trump had been president for four, he had four years. And this crisis is because he deported fewer people than Obama. You know, they, they coming up the stupid party line about the oh, Biden was left with the most secure border ever. That's just ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't as bad as it is as it was under Biden, but he, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And if he had. Who knows? Maybe this situation would have been averted. But now, you know, as a student of history, Tony, as you know, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just reading on the conspiracy websites, and I mean, there, you know, there's uh, invocations of my boy Thomas Jefferson, and uh, you know, just things about they, they talked about um, uh, Abbott's statement about saying he will not comply. He said it was almost word for word taken from the first line of one of the Confederate states when they with seceded. So I mean I I I can't imagine he's he's going to be leading this is yeah yes speech right <laughs> maybe I it's mean, an inside joke or something <laughs> I I don't think you know as far as like a profile in courage is Greg Abbott yeah. a profile you know <laughs> it'd be unlikely wouldn't it uh, I wouldn't trust him to run anything for me and I mean you know given the given the what the stakes are uh, you're talking about these are lives you know he made a joke back in 2015. Uh, about the in the Cowboys offensive line has more holes in it than the U.S. southern border. And I go, <laughs> you're in charge of that. Like, what, what, why would you think that's funny? Yeah, People exactly. Die, exactly. You know? yeah, and yeah. Uh, it really it always made me angry because to hear stuff yeah. like that. OK, here, let me listen. I'm going to just because he said he gave the number. So you texted it to him, right? Yes, I did. All right, let me just, just reply to him again. Let's make sure he knows unless he hasn't seen it or something. I would think he'd be looking for it, but let's see. Uh, sorry about that. Live radio, folks. Live, Live radio. This is fun. <laughs> folks. This is what me and Don do every Friday. 
and I I've been so busy, but I need I need to do better to to jump on here, uh, and be a part of this stream, you know, to help to help Don because we I want to hear more from Don anyway. I want to hear I want to hear more from Don. I want to hear him go over his articles. I mean, Don. There he is. There he is. He's there. All right, we got him. <laughs> Boy, what Just an ordeal this was. <laughs> you sure do use a junky connect internet connector <laughs> well streamer we, we appreciate you being here dr roberts paul craig roberts uh uh you're worth the wait sorry but sorry for all the uh the problems we had but uh i've been you know a fan of yours for a long time you're you're you don't need any introduction, but obviously you go back to the Reagan administration as a assistant secretary of treasury or whatever you were author of many books and you were the editor with the Wall Street Journal, so you've got a a mainstream pedigree. And I guess over the years you just became uh, uh, radicalized, or I don't know what you would just you know driven more to alternative views. But anyway, I, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm sorry we had such difficulty getting you on. So th first of all, welcome to the show, and uh, I guess talk maybe a little bit about how I guess if you were in the Reagan administration, you must have been kind of a mainstream conservative at some point. How you kind of evolved into um, your philosophy today? Uh, well, I've, I've always been the same. I um, think um, truth is important, and it's the foundation of freedom and justice and morality. And if uh, truth is not present, uh, you're in a lot of trouble. country can't uh, exist. It can't survive. The people are oppressed. There's no justice. Uh, there's constant lies. So I've always been a defender of, of truth. And so nothing has ever uh, changed in my life. It's, I've been that way since I was a, a scholar in the universities dealing with serious subjects. Uh, I was that way when I was an editor of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, dealing with news and the events of the day and i was that way when i was in the congressional staff and later in the reagan administration so i i haven't changed people think that oh if you were a republican you must have been you know prejudiced and only gave a republican point of view and so on but that's not that's not the case uh, i was the first uh, journalist in the United States to go after the George W. Bush administration about 9-11, about their concocted wars in the Middle East. So um, there's never been anything uh, partisan, politically or ideologically partisan uh, about me. Well, would you, would you, uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Pat Buchanan as well. And uh, you, your writing, especially your books, remind me of some of his writings. Or would, would you agree with that? You, maybe you and Pat Buchanan are kind of on the same wavelength? Yes, in some ways. Though Pat was uh, much more of a partisan uh, yeah, especially conservative and a partisan uh, Republican than I was. But generally, now, Pat was on the side of the truth. Generally, he lined up uh, with the truth. And uh, I remember 
specifically his book about the unnecessary war, that is, World War II. Yes. And um, so um, I've always uh, gotten along with Pat. He has always sent me autographed copies of every one of his books, and I think I reviewed most of them. Uh, but he's an honorable uh, person, and uh, he's not uh, just a political uh, operative, he thinks. And uh, he was committed to uh, America, to the United States of America. Well, we certainly would have a, a different country if somehow he had been elected, I guess, in 2000 or whatever. And uh, we, were, we were talking, Dr. Roberts, before, we, while we were waiting to try to hook you up, Tony and I were talking about this uh, situation on the Texas border. I'm sure that has your interest. And we're just trying to make a header. I mean, 26 states have signed. I mean, are we looking at civil war too here? I mean, could, could, is Greg Abbott somehow after 10 years of doing nothing, is he going to be the new Jefferson Davis? I, I just don't know. I don't know how this is uh, going to come out. Uh, I was really surprised when I learned today that, um, uh, 25 Republican governors had uh, yeah. backed him, and that, and that 10, at least at that point of time, had actually sent uh, law enforcement officers or their own uh, state National Guard to Texas to uh, back him up. So it looks to me like that uh, Abbott uh, has enough backing within Texas uh, to try to face down uh, the Biden regime, which clearly intends to destroy the United States of America. Everyone should understand, particularly all the patriots who go around waving flags and saying USA, USA, all that. <laughs> the worst enemy they have is their own government, Washington. Yes. The Biden regime is the worst enemy Americans have ever faced. They're far worse than the Japanese or the Soviet Union or the alleged uh, Germans, the Nazis. Uh, we've never had an enemy that controls our government and intends to destroy white people. And that's what we've yeah. got. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's what, and you, I, I, I glad, as you know, I've, I've written, I, I'm certainly not uh, scared to talk about the great replacement. It's absolutely real. And this is an anti-white agenda. And I'm glad to hear you say that because so many people, even on the right, certainly not Donald Trump and, and people like that, they just they don't mention the racial aspect of it. But so much of this is, they, I mean, I, I'm white. I have white children. I hope to have someday have grandchildren who will probably be white. I don't know what your few of children or grandchildren or whatever. But I mean, how what do you think of this self-hatred that so many whites have where they're does that mean you hate all whites except you, except your family or what? I mean, what, it's, it's, I've never seen anything like this. There's no such thing as self-hating Chinese or, or Saudi Arabians. I mean, what, what do you make of this? <laughs> well, um, I've been concerned with that for decades and have written about it from time to time. It never receives any response because it's, it's too difficult for most people's brains to, uh, to come to terms with. Uh, one way, perhaps, of understanding it is that if you look at the history of uh, liberal reforms in the West, and of course, reforms were necessary. There were things that needed to be reformed. But the way the liberals always approached them was by 
denunciation of the existing society. And it, it, they never said, look, uh, how much progress we've made, look how much good we've done, and we've got a few more things we have to rectify, and let's get together now in goodwill and, and, and fix this. They never said that. They always came out denouncing, denouncing, denouncing. And this became the mode of operation so that in, in the universities and the school systems, uh, the self-denunciation of Western civilization became uh, the standard fare. And as far back as the 1960s, you had university students out uh, chanting, uh, Western civilization has to go. Yeah. And so it created this sort of self-denunciatory ethic among the intellectual class. And the conservatives never found out how to deal with that. And, um, and they still don't know. And I think it was this self-denunciatory ethic that created the notion that we're all evil and don't deserve what to be here. And we've done all this wrong and, and the Indians and the blacks and, and it's just caused a complete collapse of self-belief throughout Western civilization. Yeah. You, you, if you go today to the main museums in the West, the museum curators regard their holdings not as great artwork, but yeah. as examples of white racism. Yes, exactly. Well, the Thomas so, Mann, I, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I've no, so I'll say, well, ta no, ta no, certainly we want to hear more from you, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but I wrote in Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776, 1963, I talked about Thomas Jefferson and the, uh, the Monticello Foundation and how they're devoted to building up this Sally Hemings nonsense. And basically that's the, they, they pay more attention to that than Thomas Jefferson's legacy. They're, I mean, they're actually, they're, you know, they're, they have animosity towards Thomas Jefferson and this is his foundation. I mean, I, that, I think that's epitomizes what we're up against here. Right. That's it. And, um, and the people who are threatened, that is the white, ethnic base of the population who are threatened and they're not organized. Uh, many of them are still insouciant and have no awareness. And um, if they tried to organize, uh, the FBI would infiltrate it and immediately begin arresting the leaders. So they're kind of uh, in a very dangerous situation. The majority of the white of the population of the United States is still white, but it's in an indefensible position. And its own leaders don't respect it. Look what the Supreme Court did. The Supreme Court ruled that uh, yes. Texas uh, had to stop blocking um, illegal immigrants from walking into the country. Yeah. Well, the Supreme Court of the land, Supreme Court of the land won't uh, allow 
a governor to protect its own borders and the country's borders, then you you literally do not have a country. No, nope. there's no country here. You you can't have a country that has no borders because the country then belongs to whoever walks in. Right. So that's what we're. We, the United States is a geographical location. It most certainly is not a nation. And it's no longer even a country. It's a tower of Babel. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I, I've said many times that I, you know, I, I study history a lot. And I know that in 1860, there were plenty of uh, foundational principles that everyone in the North and South, everyone agreed on. Most of all, belief in God, for instance, and certainly certain morality that uh, Ten Commandments type of you know morality, uh, they believed in that. They they had things that they agreed on. In today's America, I don't think there is a single foundational principle that Americans agree on. I mean, certainly not God. Certainly, I mean, we can't even agree what a woman is or when life begins or any of that stuff. There's not. How do you have a country when there's no foundation for it at all? You don't. You don't have a country. You have a you have a Tower of Babel, and that's what the United States is, and it was intended. It was done on purpose. And at this very, very late stage, I think it's too late, really, when people try to do something about it, even the major institutions of the government step in to stop them. The Department of Justice, the Supreme yes. Court. The Congress itself, I don't know if you saw that the Republicans in the Senate are working on an immigration measure that yeah. allows 1.8 million illegals to walk in every year. <laughs> well, these are the Republicans. Yeah. So you have a situation where no known institution in the United States supports an American ethnicity, an American national consciousness. Instead, we have multiculturalism, diversity, and what that means is you have a Tower of Babel. That's what it is. There's no common culture. There's no common value. In fact, there's, there's no common language. The other day, I got a Medicare a Medicare notice that they were sending me a new Medicare card because Medicare had been hacked and blah, blah. And then I noticed the notice was in 30 languages. <laughs> so here I am, an American citizen. I get a notice from my government in 30 languages. Well, how is this a country? Exactly. Yeah, well, you see that in every automated menu of the vote, the voting, the ballots, and everything. And it's just, and again, these I try to point out to people when I talk about these things, I don't blame immigrants, I don't blame black people or whatever, Hispanics, whatever. All this was done by white people. White right. people are the ones that they're the ones that thought up, you know, let's let's have every sign in Spanish, let's have uh, multilingual right. ballots. I mean, if you should you be, I mean, can you go to France? And vote in their elections if you can't read a ballot in French? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, we're, we're the only country in the world that does this. And it's amazing what the, the job the culture has done on us. And I think that's why Trump got so much, whatever Trump is, 
he just his MAGA rhetoric, you know, just the, the idea, especially he doesn't say America first anymore, but when he was using the America first thing, and you know, that goes back to World War II, and that's, oh my God, America, imagine putting America first in America. What a, what a horrific concept. But you saw how it brought out every, as you mentioned, every, every corporate America used to be Republican. That's what we used to think. But corporate America is so woke now. I mean, they, they, they fire people if you say men can't have babies. I mean, it's, we, we've lost Pat Buchanan that we talked about that that speech he made and I guess the was the 92 Republican convention where he talked about losing the culture war boy was he accurate I mean we have we have just we were annihilated in the culture war I don't think uh, we even realized there was one and we certainly didn't fight it but you know it's not just the United States there's not a single white country. No, nope. in Europe or or England or Canada or Australia or New Zealand, it's not in the same situation. the The notion of um, an ethnic based country, such as German, French, yeah. English, Italian, Dutch, these today would be called apartheid states white supremacy, racist states. And you can see the absence of any kind of nationalism in the fact that today, both in the United States and in Germany, the governments are considering taking illegal immigrants into the military in exchange for their service, giving them citizenship. Now, but you see, this has already happened. This has already happened in Denmark, in France, and in Slovakia. All three countries accept illegal aliens as military members. Well, this is relying on mercenaries. What, what does this say about loyalty, motivation? It's, it, it shows a complete absence of any national awareness. No. So you've got the whole West in this absence. There's no national awareness. Uh, white heterosexual Americans will not join the military any longer. No. Apparently they're having similar problems in Germany. They've already had them in Denmark and France and Slovakia. So how are you a country? You can't even field an army of citizens even if you had enemies. And we don't have any industry. We could probably could we could manufacture the shoes, the boots for them. Let's put the boots on the ground. We couldn't even make no. the boots. I mean, that's, that's right. That's I, right. I, I want to tell people that are listening out there I, again. I apologize for YouTube, uh, Dr. Roberts. YouTube uh, messes with me all the time, so they've given me another strike, so they suspended my account. So I can't. Usually, our biggest live stream is on YouTube, and. Uh, I can't do it today. So over in Rockfin, I'm glad that people are going over there. Freeworld.fm. Hope to see more of you there so you can do that. And I am streaming on Facebook, I think. Twitter is blocking me too, even though it says it is. So the shadow band stuff is for the birds. But uh, 
so hopefully if you if you're I hope you're catching it one way or another. So uh, I apologize to you for the inconvenience of uh, not having YouTube our main thing. But um, so when you look at the I mean you look at something like uh, when when you were in the Reagan administration, let's say, and I don't know how you came out of that. Uh, I have my own views of Reagan, uh, much as I do of Trump. But uh, when you went in there, did you have certain expectations? Did you think that Reagan was really going to cut down on the size of government? Uh, did you think that you were there to watch the 1986 amnesty, basically became the Amnesty Act, the Immigration Reform Act? And I remember immigrants I was working with back then were just saying, oh, that's so stupid. They knew how dumb it was when you they were letting all the families in. Uh, did it become a disappointment to you or do you, were you, did you see anything that happened there when you were inside his government that you, uh, supported? Well, the reason I was appointed the assistant secretary of the treasury by Reagan was that I had written the Kemp Roth bill, the tax rate reduction bill that Reagan had adopted as his main, um, policy. And he put me there so that there would be someone in his administration that would support the policy he had adopted. <laughs> and, someone. <laughs> and um, it turned out that for the most part, uh, the Treasury appointees uh, supported the president, but we were alone elsewhere in the government. Uh, Reagan had been told that he mustn't make the mistake that Goldwater had made. You may remember that when Barry Goldwater won the uh, Republican presidential nomination, he took it from David from from uh, Rockefeller. Yeah, Nelson Rockefeller. He then turned his back on the establishment Republicans and picked. Uh, a non-establishment candidate, and so Rockefeller and the Republican establishment turned on him and destroyed him. Yeah. So the Democrats didn't have to do anything. Well, they told Reagan, "If uh, you've now uh, repeated Goldwater's feat of taking the nomination away from the Republican establishment, which was George Herbert Walker Bush, and if you don't take him as your vice president, uh, they'll turn on you and destroy you, and the Democrats won't have to do anything. So Reagan uh, acceded to this advice and brought them in. And so the chief of staff of the White House was George Herbert Walker Bush's right-hand man, Jim Baker. Right. And so the problem was the chief of staff controls all the information flows. So even if you are assistant secretary of the treasury, or even if you are the secretary of the treasury, you can be blocked from the president by Jim Baker. So what we found was to uh, get the president's bill out of his own administration so Congress could vote for it where it passed was a knockdown drag out fight. It, and it, and if you engaged in it, it meant you had no future in the Republican Party because they're not going to tolerate people who go against the Republican establishment. So I had to make a decision that I want a government career or was I going to stand by what I knew would solve the stagflation problem 
as I had devised the supply side policy. And I said, well, I'm going to go with, with my own work. And we defeated them. But they instantly turn on you. And it was a, a vicious thing. And Reagan told me, he said, you can't possibly stay in the administration now because they're out to get you and there'll be endless planted stories in the press. Now that you've defeated them for me, there'll be endless planted stories in the press uh, destroying your reputation. And I already knew that because uh, the day before the president's uh, 1982 State of the Nation address, uh, the headlines in all the newspapers said that tonight in the State of the Union, Reagan is going to uh, uh, dismiss the supply siders who sold him a bag of goods and uh, and all of this sort of stuff. And, and the leading... Uh, a news anchor of the of the day called me and said, "Look, it looks like you're finished, Craig." And I said, "No, it's not true." <laughs> he said, "Well, I tell you what, I'm going to reserve a room for you right next to the Capitol where Reagan will deliver this address, and we're going to come in immediately afterwards and interview you." He thought I wouldn't do it, and I said, "Okay, I'll be there." So I sat there and listened, and Reagan gave his speech and said, these people who are talking about me abandoning my program, they're crazy. Who are they? Th who, are, who are they? Where are they getting this information? <laughs> and so when, when the leading anchor came in, he was just visibly shaken. He was really shaken. And he, and he, he sat down and looked at me, and he said, Craig, he said, Reagan has just repudiated his advisors. I said, you didn't repudiate me. <laughs> he said, he said, but he said, look, he said, the chief of staff, all of them, Stockman, they've got egg all over their faces. <laughs> what can they do? I said, well, they can wipe the egg off their face and get back on the president's team. <laughs> well, within seconds. My wife at home got a call. We think it was from Larry Kudlow. He oh. said, we're going to get Craig. We're going to get you. We're going to get all of his GD friends. They were, <laughs> you see, the kind of, somebody was interfering with the establishment's power. And I had made a public display of it. So this is why Reagan told me, he said, I got other uses for you, which he had. Uh, he put me on a secret uh, presidential committee to evaluate the CIA's estimates of uh, Soviet economic and military capability. And you've done all you can do in the Treasury. We got the bill out. The Congress passed it. Run for your life. He said, I can't protect you. <laughs> well, it sounds like sounds like you had a good, a good relationship. What, what do you think with being in the White House? I mean, uh, I, look, you know, he had, look, he had, two, Reagan had two goals, period. He didn't care about anything else. One, 
He wanted to cure the American economy of the stagflation. People, it was too long ago. Anybody that's young or relatively young doesn't know. But the United States, because of the years of Keynesian macroeconomic policy, was in a situation where inflation and unemployment were rising together. Sure. And it was called, Carter called it the malaise of the American economy. He didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. I had the solution, which was a supply-side program I don't have time to tell you about. But Reagan bought into it. Kemp bought into it. Uh, the House Budget Committee bought into it. And strangely enough, the Democrats in the Senate bought into it. Russell Long, uh, Lloyd, uh, what was the guy? Benson, from Texas? Benson, Benson. Benson, Lloyd Benson. Uh, they bought into it. Sam Nunn bought into it. And so we had a huge constituency for this change in policy. Well, uh, the problem was it wasn't the Republican establishment's policy. And here was something coming to solve a serious problem, stagflation, and they weren't responsible for it. So this meant it was an enemy to their influence. So they always opposed it. And so that's why we had such a hard time in the Reagan administration uh, actually getting the president's program out of his own government. See, we'd go to a meeting at the White House and we would say what had to be done and then uh, Stockman or Jim Baker would say, well, uh, this, uh, this is risky, you know, it could hurt the stock market or the bond market. And we'd say, no, it can't do anything like that. It'll help them. And and Reagan would say, I agree with the Treasury and get up and leave the room. The minute he left the room, Jim Baker would turn to Don Regan and say, Don, can't the Treasury make a better case? In other words, he didn't hear what the president said. Yeah. yeah. This happened three times in a row. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, you know, that's, how government, that's how government really works. People don't understand. It's what you have is once you there's always a fight for who's in control. That's all that's important. What's happening to the country is not of any interest unless they are the ones in charge of that particular program. So it's it's a it's always a fight for control, and the Republican establishment was terrified that eight years of Reagan would be followed by eight years of Jack Kemp and they would be out, simply out of power, out of control and couldn't make a comeback. And so they were always working against Reagan. They didn't want him to fail, but they wanted to be able to say that he was only successful because they moderated him. Yeah. They tamed him down and made it more moderate, and that's why it worked. So they were always trying to get credit without it going to Reagan or to the supply side of people who supported him. Well, I think he would he would have been treated like Trump if he had uh, 
if he had if there had been Twitter back in the day and he'd been tweeting out, hey, you know, we got to demolish this Department of Energy you just created. We got to depart- demolish the Department of Education was just created because that's, I think, what people expected to see from him. But I want to ask you, because you knew Reagan, obviously, um, people, you know, I have a big JFK assassination researcher. That's how I got my start as a teenager, uh, you know, volunteer in the 70s working with Mark Lane and the Citizens Committee of the Inquiry. And I heard through the grapevine from another researcher that uh, Reagan was keenly interested in the JFK assassination and that he kept a bunch of books on the subject on his nightstand. Did you, did you ever hear him talk about the subject? No, I don't know anything about that. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe what I can tell you, I was going to tell you his two, his two goals. Uh, the one was to cure the stagflation, which we did. We did. <laughs> the other was to end the Cold War. He never talked about winning it. He said, the purpose isn't to win it, it's to end it. And that is when he formed this secret presidential committee to have a look at the CIA that he put me on. And the problem was Reagan, Reagan's approach was, look, we've cured the American economic weakness by by our new policy. But look, the Soviets can't cure their problems. Their, they, their problems are incurable. So now we have the economic power to challenge them to an arms race that they can't meet. And this I can use to bring them to the negotiating table and end the Cold War. Okay, well, the CIA said, oh, Mr. President, you mustn't challenge them to an arms race because they'll win. He said, what are you talking about? They're busted. He said, oh, Mr. President, you don't understand. They have a planned economy. They can put the entire resources of the economy into the military. You can't put anything like that. And so if you challenge them to an arms race, they're not going to come to a negotiating table except to accept your surrender. So he created this committee and we had subpoena power over them and they had to give us the documents and they had to come answer questions and all of this. And, and the report we gave him was, he said, uh, uh, it's just the CIA protecting its budget. That's all it is. He said, I knew that, but I had to have a report. <laughs> so then he went to Reykjavik and began unwinding the Cold War with Gorbachev. Well, that was the only two things he was concerned about. All the things the conservatives were concerned about were basically irrelevant. Mm-hmm. There were only two important issues in the Cold War, in the stagflation. He achieved both of them. He didn't get any credit for it. No, well, really? that that was my life uh, with with uh, Reagan, and uh, he was a very focused person. It's impossible for a president to focus on all the areas in the government, all the cabinet positions, all of the executive agencies. It's too much. There's no way. I mean, I had. Uh, two departments of the treasury reporting to me. And it was really 
I was at the extent of the span of control. Well, how is the president going to control everything? He, he just can't. He, but he had those two goals and he achieved them. And that those were the important goals. So I think he's the best president that we've ever had. Because well, he, came in, he, he came in in a very dangerous time. The economy was collapsing because we had simultaneously inflation and unemployment going up together. They're supposed to go in opposite directions, but they were going up together. And the tensions with the Soviet Union were high. And he said, this is not a formula for success. And so he adopted an economic policy that cured the one, and he uh, set, he put the CIA aside so he could deal with the other. So I, I rank him as a highly successful president because he doesn't get these marks because the Republican establishment cannot accept that somebody that's not them was more successful. Right. Well, let's let's go because you know obviously the obvious comparison to him, you know, more recently we're dealing with now is Donald Trump, because uh, you look at the presidents in between and they were you know pretty much disasters. But Trump comes in 2016 and uh, you know this all this populist unrest is out there and he tapped into that with his make America great again and, and make America first and talking about the globalists and all that. What are your thoughts on Trump? I mean, his, his rhetoric in 2016 was great. The, his, his administration was just obviously, I mean, just it was nonstop attack. He was tweeting. He didn't really do what he said he would do. And he's the most despised man, probably this side of Adolf Hitler. And uh, what are your thoughts on Trump? And especially now, considering, does he have a chance, you think, to, to, to come back into the office? Oh, of course, he'll he'll be elected, but the FBI or the CIA will assassinate him. They're not going to allow him to come into office, and he's a huge threat to them. Uh, he's already said he would break up the CIA, and clearly he would prosecute the criminals that run the FBI. Um, he'll if he and, and clearly there's no he has he has no competition for the nomination. And all the polls show that Biden uh, even has minority support among the Democrats. So a Trump, uh, an election will put Trump in, in office and uh, the elite will not uh, accept it. So he'll be killed. Um, well, if that happens, what would, would, would that precipitate uh, something way bigger than January 6th? I have no idea. Americans uh, accept a, a the, the American people accept a lot. Yes, they do. You know, <laughs> uh, they uh, lie after lie, false war after false war, 9 11. <laughs> They're just very, it, you see, the, the trouble with uh, the American patriots is that uh, they believe all the myths and they love their country and they don't, they're very defensive about it. They're very protective of it. And they can't believe that it would do anything wrong. And so they're easy to deceive. Yeah. And, and, and this makes them easy to be tyrannized. And because they just don't want to believe anything bad. You know, I've been, I used to give, I, I get invited to come give speeches. And what I noticed was if you tell people really what's going on, they think you're a commie. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, you, yeah. you, you, you're talking about your country. Or an insurrection. <laughs> you're, you're a communist. This is what, you know. And so I said, well, you can't communicate with them because they're too brainwashed. Yeah. They're too indoctrinated. They're too defensive, too protective of their country to understand it and to understand that they've got to have a good understanding if they're going to keep their country. Instead, they have myths, and that's why they've lost their country. Um, so you have to understand now, you asked me about Trump. Well, uh, Trump realized the country was going down the tubes and uh, he had the uh, courage to step in to do something. The trouble is he knew nothing about Washington. He's a real estate developer. And so he stood up in his inauguration on the Capitol steps and told the assembled power elite that he was going to make them irrelevant. It was a great inaugural address. It was absolutely and they great. And they sat there laughing at him. <laughs> and so he's not in office a day before Russiagate starts. Yeah. And then we got um, two fake impeachments, stripper gay, document gay, insurrection gay. Now we got four phony felony indictments. And I don't know how many civil cases and they're teaching everybody, look, if you come up against us, this is what happens to you. Well, I'm surprised Trump, that anybody is strong enough to take this. I think they're trying to kill him by stress so they don't have to fire bullets. But if that doesn't work, they'll fire the bullets because everything else has failed. Well, Trump went to Washington. He knew nothing about Washington. He didn't know who to appoint, so he appointed all of his enemies. Yes, he did. The two people who were for him were driven out the first two weeks. Yes, yep. Well, he was helpless. He had zero power. There was nobody in the government was going to do anything that he wanted. They, His own government began building charges against him. Yeah. It was the Trump Justice Department. Yes, it the was. Trump FBI, the guy he appointed. Yes, Christopher Ray. Yep. Who concocted Russiagate. Yep. So you see what I mean? He was a babe in the woods. Well we find out now that now the question hit. is, has yep. he learned his has he learned his lesson? I think. <laughs> The real question is, where does he get the people to serve him? There's none in Washington. Where are they going to come from? And if he finds them and they're willing to take the risk and the heat, how is he going to get them confirmed by the Senate? Right. right. Well, that's that's the problem, isn't it? But, and now we find that uh, I've heard these allegations trying to source them. They seem to come from one guy who I'm trying to get on my show. I forget his name, but um, that Mark Meadows, who was his last chief of staff, was an FBI undercover operative recording conversations in the White House. I mean, can that possibly be true? Can you imagine a, a chief of staff working for undercover for the FBI? Sure, of course. That's what I would have expected, given what 
Trump said his intentions were. You see, he said he was going to normalize relations with Russia. So he was telling the CIA, I'm taking away your enemy. He was telling the military security complex whose annual budget is in excess of $1 trillion that I'm making you irrelevant because I'm taking away your enemy. What did you expect they were going to do to him? Yeah. Well, I mean, his rhetoric was just uh, absolutely incredible. He was he said revolutionary stuff that I people you know, were, were in my family are telling me that's the kind of stuff I was I had been saying, you know, at parties and stuff for a long time. I said, yeah, this infrastructure is an embarrassment. Nobody's talked about it for 60 years. And uh, we sh these senseless wars and everything. But the uh, my concern is, again, that if if. Uh, the second go around, if he if he follows through on some of these things, but will it be especially after the border thing? And this is kind of goes together with what we see now happening in Texas because that was Trump's hot button issue was immigration, and he's not talking about it now, other than saying the border is wide open under Biden. But he's not talking about the deportations that have to happen. Uh, how how do you? Because I mean, we don't know what's going to happen here with Texas if there's there's a trucker convoy supposedly going there. I mean. This could really get big. I mean, I don't know. I guess we're cautiously optimistic that maybe we'll finally see a show of force out there of uh, dissenters. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm surprised that Texas got the support from Republicans that it seems to have received. Uh, but, you know, the South tried secession. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it, you know, uh, Texas doesn't have uh, any bio war labs under its control that it can release a pathogen on Washington or the blue states. But Washington can certainly do that to Texas. Yeah. So uh, Texas doesn't have any uh, uh, missiles and uh, nuclear weapons and tanks and, and uh, fighter aircraft and, and B-1 bombers and so I, I just don't know how in, in, in 1861, uh, the weapons that people had and the weapons the military had were largely comparable except for cannons. Yeah. And today there's no, there's no comparison. Uh, people don't have uh, uh, heavy-duty military weapons. They can't compete with a national force. So I don't know what is, is going to happen. I, well, I think it, I, it, I suspect it, that what's going to happen is that Biden, you know, people are not all that aware, but we have Biden has started three wars. We have the one with Russia and Ukraine. We have the one uh, uh, on Israel's side in the Middle East, which brings us against Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, and they're now planning, and of course, Iraq, or, or Syria, and, and they're planning on attacking uh, Iran. And um, they're planning on attacking Iran, uh, despite the announcement last week that the Russians and the Iranians are preparing a, 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 some sort of mutual pact, some sort of mutual uh, recognition assistance pact. So it looks like you attacking Iran means you're attacking Russia. So 
and they've now started the, the war again in Serbia. And we, we are sending weapons and stuff there. So all of this can blow so far out of control that uh, the United States could simply collapse. Uh, yeah, you, know, the you, world, talked about, you talked about the Soviet the Union, of, yeah. Yeah, the world is fleeing the dollar. Uh, because they've learned it's a mechanism used to oppress them and loot them and plunder them. They, they've seen uh, how we stole the central bank reserves of, of Russia, uh, how we have forced all of Europe into recession and, and unemployment by imposing sanctions that forced them to abandon their trading partners. Uh, the United States is uh, now after Israel, the, probably the most hated country in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And we we see even the Saudis, the Saudi, even the Saudis have abandoned. They say abandoned the petrodollar. They're going to accept any currency for their oil. Uh, that undercuts a big support of the dollar, and without the support for the dollar. Uh, we can't finance our trade and budget deficits, which are huge. You see, people never understood, people who worried about the American deficit never understood that the increase in American debt was seen by the rest of the world as an increase in their bank reserves because they use their surplus earnings in their trade with us to purchase U.S. Treasury bonds because that was the reserves of their banking system. So there was never any danger of us getting in trouble about our debt because all it meant was the rest of the world has more banking reserves, which they loved. And so they kept buying the treasuries. It's, it's only when you convince the rest of the world that hey, you hold U.S. denominated assets, they may confiscate them, they may freeze them, they may take them and give them to the Ukrainians. You're not, your wealth isn't safe anymore. That is what Washington has taught them. And so Washington has undermined its own power because the minute you don't have the reserve currency, you can't pay your bills by printing money and issuing debt. And that's what's coming home to, to Washington. So when you ask what's going to happen about uh, Texas and these states and so on, it certainly looks to me like um, the majority of Americans, and now including Democrats, even these blue cities now who are getting loaded up yeah. with the immigrants, mm -hmm. they're complaining. <laughs> So that, so that it's not just uh, Republican uh, anti-immigration people. It's now the blue cities because they haven't the resources to deal. You know, the other day, the, the mayor of Denver, I think it was, said we get another bus full every hour. <laughs> exactly. Talk about so, taxing the resources, yeah. Yeah. So, and so I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just, I think the country uh, is in a, an advanced state of collapse. Yeah, well, do, it has you, no do you, do you, do you see no that, 
No, and do you do you see parallels between the Soviet Union, as you mentioned, at the end, right after Reagan administration, eighty nine? They uh, can could we implode the same way? Just collapse basically because of all the corruption and mismanagement? Is it possible to that that could happen here? Uh, we we can certainly uh, collapse. We are we're in collapse, uh, okay. but of course the Soviet Union did not collapse for those reasons that you gave, and it had nothing to do with Reagan. Uh, I don't understand why. It's not well known. The reason the Soviet Union collapsed is that the hardliners in the Politburo thought that Gorbachev was moving too fast in uh, reducing tensions with the West and giving up, uh, so, you know, the Soviet Empire and Eastern Europe, and and they thought that uh, he was endangering the Soviet Union by uh, going too fast in removing the Iron Curtain and all of that. And they arrested him. They put him under house arrest. So it was when the Politburo arrested the president of the Soviet Union that the country fell apart. That led to Yeltsin and, and the rest, uh, which caused the Soviet collapse. It had nothing to do with us. It was the hardliners and the Politburo who, whose suspicions of Gorbachev became so great, they placed him under house arrest. Well, and I that, think that yeah. set off the uh, events that led to the, to the Soviet collapse. Nobody in Washington expected this. It was a total surprise. Well, I, I just think that yeah, you know, we're definitely in a unique situation because I mean, I, I I don't know if you agree, but I've I've said many times that I think present day America is the most corrupt his, country in the history of the world. I think we're I don't know how corrupt the Soviets were, the Nazis or Mao's China, but I, I don't know. When you you know look look at what's happening now, you have all the January six people who have been I've had several of them on my show denied all due process for three years now and given yeah. sentences longer than murders. I mean, just, I mean, what, how, how is there no opposition to this? Where are the civil libertarians? Well, uh, they're woke. Uh, there, there's no opposition because there's no media. Okay. It's the function of the media. And this is what our system always relied on. It's function of the media uh, to bring the facts to the fore. Instead, the media serves as a ministry of propaganda reinforcing the narrative. And the narrative is that uh, Trump um, led an insurrection and that these people were insurrectionists. Okay. And not a single American uh, uh, newspaper or a TV station has ever challenged that narrative. So the people, what what they do here is the official narrative. Now, some of them are smart enough to figure out that it's a lie, and some of them are smart enough to navigate uh, all of the enormous disinformation that's also on the Internet to find reliable sources, and they figure it out 
but that's the minority of the people. It takes time and effort and interest. And most people are not sure how it affects them and they don't bother and they listen to the news and it tells them the same thing, no matter which channel they turn to or which newspaper they pick up or whether they listen to NPR or what. So that's, uh, that's the reason. Plus, in the universities, if you challenge the woke narratives, they fire you. You simply get fired. So you can have tenure, it doesn't matter, you get fired anyhow. So how can the, uh, suppose that some professors in the law school will say, well, God, they've weaponized law. We don't have a rule of law. If they start talking about that, they're gone. <laughs> well, look at the prosecutions. I and mean, again, whatever you think of Alex Jones, whatever you think of Trump, Rudy yeah. Giuliani, all these people, I mean, you can't, what, what precedent is this set? If, if they can prosecute somebody for protesting an election, Think of the, and I think, as, and as a financial guy, you can certainly appreciate the fact that I, I'm, I've been a realtor since 1985. I can still keep my license active. The idea that someone can be prosecuted for exaggerating the value of his assets? I mean, how many people haven't done that? That's criminal now? I mean, they're well, setting well, some dangerous precedents. First of all, we don't know that he did that. No, we don't even know he did. But even if he because, did, how is that a crime? Yeah. Well, it, it clearly isn't. And what's what you what you haven't said is that no one brought any charges against him that he did. There's no harm in this case. It is a allegation made by a prosecutor. It is a personal opinion. Yeah. For which all the people Trump did business with don't agree with and don't support. In other words, to have a case like that, you have to have a complainant who comes and says, I lost money because he lied to me about the value. No one's done that. This is a creation entirely. Otherwise, so, otherwise, otherwise, you're going to prosecute your neighbor who lies about how much money he has, or you know, he's a big BSer. I mean, that's yeah. that's it's it's human nature. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think uh, Trump lied about anything about his assets, and it's like the bankers all said: we wanted to do business with him. We don't care what he said; we want to do business. <laughs> well, I would imagine he certainly had the resources, but I mean, the, you could put, you took these two things and then you put the E. Jean Carroll thing where this is, that yeah. should frighten everyone. Any of us, they could find well, a let, woman. Let me, stop, let me stop yeah. you and, and yeah. tell you that this has a long history. You see, the prosecutors have been getting unleashed for many decades. And in many ways, the conservatives are responsible. For example, the war on crime, the war on drugs. Rico. It became, it be, yeah, Rico. It became so important to get the criminals mm-hmm. that the conservatives diminished the protective features of the law. And we reached the point where federal agents could conduct a drug sting on your front lawn Mm -hmm. and then seize your house because it enabled a drug crime. Yes. 
asset, so, for, asset forfeiture who uh, Trump's yeah. Attorney General William Sessions yeah. was all that's for. Where, <laughs> that's where it came from. It came from the conservative war on drugs. That's where it came from. So also, we had conservatives who were uh, so tired of, of juries not always convicting. <laughs> so uh, the mounting pressure, what the prosecutor and the prosecutors who couldn't get a high rate of convictions didn't, weren't able to stay in office, much less get a favorable name revolution, uh, recognition that would let them run for political office like Giuliani did. So they started the plea bargaining process because that was a way of rapidly solving every crime, whether the guy was innocent or guilty. And it turned lawyers into negotiators, not trial lawyers, so that today 97% of all felonies in the United States are resolved via self-incrimination. The defendant agrees to plea to a lesser charge in exchange for the main charge being dropped. And even if he's innocent, his lawyer tells him, if you don't do this, they're going to bring in a superseding indictment. It'll have another dozen charges. And by the time you get to a jury, you got so many charges, no juror is going to dismiss all of them. Right. And the sentence you'll get will be far worse than if you simply let me negotiate some lesser crime that didn't happen. In other words, they're all in jail for crimes that never happened. Yes. They're made up crimes that they agreed they did in order to escape the risk of a trial, whether they're innocent or guilty, and get a major, well, this is not a system of justice. And it's been like this for decades. Yep. But I mean, the, we, the, the political prosecutions now, though, I mean, with these, the left, the judges that are now, they're just, if you watch Alex Jones's, I call them TikTok judges, as women he had, I mean, these were I mean, there it was. There wasn't any question about what their feelings were, and they and they left the judges used to at least to kind of try to pretend to be unbiased. They, these people, they they, I mean, they were calling him a liar at trial, and the judge was in front of the jury. How? That's not justice. It's it's TikTok justice. Yes, that's that's correct. But you see, what has happened is that facts no longer matter because it's emotions. Uh, Emotion has taken over from reason, and it's your emotion that's correct, not the facts. The, if the facts don't go along with your emotion, you just dismiss them. Right. And so these, these are emotional people who have learned in universities that America is evil, white people is evil, blah, 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 and they are simply responding to that indoctrination. This is what they learn. If, if you go to a law school today, whether it matter it's Harvard or Stanford or whatever it is, they teach you the U.S. Constitution is in the way of equity. 
Yeah. So they teach you that it's a disadvantage. The Constitution is a disadvantage for the country. This is what they teach in the law schools. <laughs> so how do you expect uh, them to go around defending people's rights? Well, and, and the and the frightening thing is that all the all these students now with these incredible courses of uh, critical race theory, anti-white, fifty-seven genders. These are the people that are going through college now. They're going to be running things, and some of them already are. And you're seeing those judges show up in some of these trials. That's a frightening prospect because they they hate the Constitution. I don't know what they want in its place, but they have no respect for civil liberties. It's already happened. They're already there. That's, yep. They're already in place. And then we have that George Soros using his billions to put in as district attorneys and attorney generals at the state level all sorts of woke candidates. I mean all of the all of the judges uh, the one in New York, Latila James, the one uh, Fannie yeah. uh, Willis in Fulton County, they they were put there by Soros's money. Yeah. He funded their campaign, so he got them a position. So, if and, he's, and I read the other day he's done this in, uh, on, in 59 yeah. places. Yeah. Well, so, so the people put in office are people put there for ideological reasons. And they're serving an ideology, not justice or law. Yeah. And and this, but you see, this is now acceptable to law schools. Yeah, yeah, and and we we, we all code at all. You know, like for instance, you mentioned Fanny Fanny Willis, and she she gets caught. I mean, that would have destroyed somebody, and and you know, maybe thirty thirty years ago, having an affair with a, a prosecutor that was prosecuting Trump, and I guess he paid him off or whatever. But they doubled down on it. She went to her church. And her church and talked about it and talked about they, they black women have to be perfect. I mean, the church, what kind of church is okay with some woman going out and justifying adultery? We, we have no moral compass in this society. No, but she didn't do that. What she did was she said they're, they're holding a black woman accountable, and that's racist. Right, exactly. Yes. That's, that's what she told them, and, and that's what they all think. Yeah. They they think that if you hold a black accountable, you're racist. And so to them, it's nothing to do with adultery or anything or or corruption of money. It's that the Fanny is being held accountable because she's black and, yeah. and because she's a female because they get yeah. they get dual. They get a dual shot at it. So she's a black female. That's why. They're saying this about her, not because anything she did. So this is the way people think now. And you're still thinking in the old way, but this is the way they think. Oh, so yeah. if they think this way, that's the way it is to them. Well, you have Nikki, so, Nikki, Nikki Haley's come out and, uh, you know, who, she, she looks pretty white to me, but you know, she's she's playing up the brown card now. All, as you saw that, say, you know, I've, I've ex I was uh, discriminated against for being brown every day of my childhood. I mean, this is ridiculous the way this, this identity politics runs everything. Yeah. Well, I don't know why she thinks that's going to help her, but 
I wouldn't think, but, but she's got I, a lot of powerful people yeah. behind her. She's got a lot of money behind her. Yeah. I think we need to sum this up. We've been on for an hour, despite all our trouble getting connected. Sure, sure. The whole trouble in the United States is that uh, the belief system has been under constant attack uh, for a century. Uh, it's gotten worse and worse, and it has had the effect of uh, dissolving beliefs. You can't even find now law schools that believe in the First Amendment. Okay. Certainly, you cannot find a journalistic organization that believes in the First Amendment. Yeah. Which means there's no basis for their existence. Right. So when you, when you see the collapse of beliefs of this magnitude, then you have in society, you have chaos. People don't know anything, they don't know how to judge anything, you know, they can't tell if it's okay that they're being persecuted because they're white, because they did something bad to, to uh, Indians and blacks, and everyone is just, it's just chaos. And chaos is then what tyrannical states use to accomplish their, their task. So that's the situation in the United States. Overseas, uh, the United States is greatly overextended. It continues to think it's a, a hegemonic power. It hasn't won a war in God knows when. World War Two, yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't. It did not win World War Two. Well, the yeah, Russian, we, 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 the we think we won, won yeah. World War Two. <laughs> yeah. You know, we got in at the last few months after the Wehrmacht had been ground to nothing by the Red Army. And there wasn't anybody left in Germany to fight us. Yeah. So uh, this myths, myths and myths, illusions and delusions. And that's America. That's the people. Now, some of them have caught on. They're behind Trump because they realized Trump stood up for the establishment. And I think we have to support him because he's the only person who stood up to the establishment. I don't care if he's abrasive or what he says or anything. He stood up to the establishment. He's taken their punishment now for eight years, and he's still there fighting, and it looks like he's winning. And I think we should all be talking about they're going to assassinate him. They're going to assassinate him. The FBI, the CIA, the Democrats, they're going to assassinate him. We should be saying this every minute of the day to stop them. Yeah, because, because they, you, you know if they oh, did, they, they would never do that, <laughs> and they certainly will. Well, they did you mock assassinate them. You have to accuse them every minute. Well, you had you That's had the a, only thing that can stop them. You had a play in New York for that ran how long? It was a mock assassination of Trump. You had uh, Snoop Dogg and others uh, talking about he should be assassinated, and then you had Kathy Griffin carried a severed head. I mean. There, I, I, I certainly Hollywood. I think would celebrate if he was assassinated. I, I don't. I don't think that there would be. You know, I, I can't imagine there. There'd probably be late night jokes about it. Well, the Washington Post uh, had an article by the neoconservative Robert Kagan, uh, 
saying that that seems to be the only way to keep him out of office. Yeah, there. I, I think that people. Okay, so so that's you know that's not Snoop Dogg in a play. That's <laughs> yes, exactly. The major newspaper in the capital with yeah, a major policy with a major policymaker. We can't. Can't underestimate yeah. Trump derangement syndromes are a real thing, and there's these people. Uh, there's people out there that would love to see him hanged in the public square. Well, they've been trying that for eight years. So, this is the. This should tell people that clearly, he's not a friend of the establishment. This is this is not staged. I mean, nobody would go through eight years of this kind of terror and stress. I mean, look, he's a billionaire. He's got, he's married to who I think is the most beautiful woman in the world. He's got every resource to have a nice, quiet, enjoyable life. So why is he doing this? And particularly when people don't appreciate it. Oh, his ego. Bullshit. Uh, he's what is, a, a multi-billionaire with the most beautiful woman in the world. He doesn't have any more ego needs. He can do whatever he wants. And why is he in all of this trouble? So I, I say that uh, we've not had somebody like this in a very long time. And with all his faults and his unpreparedness, Still, he's the only one. Well, he's the only opposition we're, that we're given. Anyhow, he's the one that's there. He's the he's the face of the opposition. Uh, no. There, there is not. There is no one else. And that's your right. No one else. There's no one else. So, uh, can we conclude with this? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, 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 I certainly let you go. Just to finish up. I certainly love the having you and. Uh, Love to have you back again sometime if we can figure so we can coordinate it a little bit better. But uh, give out any, any links you want or anything you want to promote. Go ahead and close however you want. No, and I, I mean, I have a website, which is just my name.org, and they can see what I have to say about things there if they're interested. Um, I do think that uh, we are um, approaching in times and it's going to take leadership that we haven't seen uh, to avert the complete and total failure of not only the United States, but of the entire Western world. It's, it's all collapsing. The belief systems are gone. And there are no leaders. Where can you, where do you see a leader? Right. There's not one in Germany or Italy or England or, I mean, the, the British now are ruled by an Indian. The prime minister is an Indian. <laughs> the mayor of London is, uh, is an Arab. Yes. Yep. Uh, um, they can't, their own people don't, can't even be in their own government. So, you know, it's, it's uh, a collapsing world. There are no leaders. And the people in authority seem to be against their own citizens. Like we see even the Supreme Court, the Department of Justice, yes, the civil rights organizations, they prefer the illegal immigrant invaders over the American people. Yeah. That's the situation 
we're in. And to pretend that it's not so just means it becomes so ever faster. So with that, I'll tell you good night. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Paul Craig Roberts. Uh, thank you for joining us. Take care. Thank you. And all the you. best to you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. You're a genuine American hero. Take care. Thank okay. you. <laughs> well, goodbye for now. Take care. Thank you. Okay. There's the Paul Craig Roberts. That was nice. We got uh, over an hour with him. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, you, know, this, you know, this guy's a, uh, a link to, you know, to history, really. I mean, how many people are alive today that had that kind of contact, whatever you think of Ronald Reagan, had that kind of uh, <clears throat> close contact with somebody like Reagan, the administration that's over 40 years ago. And that's uh, the great thing about talking to older Americans like that is to uh, to realize, and you can see obviously in his voice how, uh, I didn't get to ask him, but I, I, I wanted to know what he would think like of, but I you know, figure with Pat Buchanan who was there too, and he's still alive. And I would love to have Pat Pagana on the show. I, I've actually reached out to him and he he will, he answers your email right away. He's very, he's a, he's a John Barber type. He, he's very uh, prompt about that, but he's, he's in retirement. He said, you know, if I came on for you, I'd have to make an exception. And uh, I, so many other people would be angry at me. So it's a shame because he's, uh, he has so much to offer like Paul Craig Roberts does. So at any rate, but I, I'm sorry about YouTube. Again, there's a few people over there in uh, freeworld.fm, the dude was over there. He's not there now. We have Mystical Newcomer, Netmo 289V, Interesting Legend and Calm Specimen. I'd like to hope we get more and more people in the free world chat, especially when we don't have YouTube. Next week, we probably should have YouTube. Rockfin, there's, it's good to see some familiar faces there. Little John, Geesebusters, uh, Riley. Uh, let's see. I saw, I saw, let me see. I saw other names here. Um, Jason Barker, of course. I know I saw Rhonda Tate in there. Uh, let's see who else we had. There was somebody that was there in the beginning. I don't want to miss them. That was there when nobody else was. And then I guess they left or they just stopped commenting. Uh, I said geese busters. Don't want to miss anybody here. It's a... Uh, well, we had a lot of comments. Oh, Lenny and Lenny and the Lenny and the Squig Tones. Nice name, Patrick S. Jay Lemoyne, no voter ID. I think he was the first one in here, so I like that name too. So thanks, guys, for being there. We have a few minutes. We'll talk. Just you know, kind of expounding a little bit more on uh, what I think is the big story, and I think it's going to be my <clears throat> next Substack is. Uh, Calm specimen missed the whole show. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you can catch it. It'll be rerun everywhere, and uh, we'll uh, you know be on Jeff Rents's network. And uh, Tony, I hope we get that straightened out. I don't know if I can get back to you about that. As they said, they've having trouble with getting the uh, getting the files now for that, and it'll be on Band Video, Alex Jones's show. So, and I'll put it up on Rumble as well. So, uh, lots of places too to catch it. Although I think maybe we have to talk to Tony, we can do something about the first part, maybe editing some of the stuff out. Cause it, you know, it looks ridiculous. When we're waiting to see if somebody's coming on. There's Tony. Hey, can, can we do Sorry, that? Tony? I've been, I've been in the shop. What did I miss? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, no, he, he was great. He, he was, he was, was very great. good. He, he's, a, he's another one though. You know, everybody that criticizes Trump and yeah, obviously I do, you do. 
But it's amazing how much support this guy still has. Paul Craig Roberts likes him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing. Ashley Babbitt's mother. I mean, it's just so, uh, you know, God, if he would just come through for once, because he's got so many people that have incredible faith in this guy. It's amazing. But uh, we talked about the border and everything. And, uh, you know, he thinks everything's collapsing. And uh, so I don't I don't know if. Um, you know, how much else you heard, but uh, interesting guy, you know, obviously a very brilliant guy. And I didn't realize he was so close to Reagan either. It was nice. He had some nice stories of Reagan where, you know, talking to him and he, he was a big shot. He was assistant secretary of treasury, but he's talking about a national news anchor coming in and talk to him. And uh, he was basically one of the, I guess, architects of supply side ep- economics uh, to get rid of stagflation and all that he was talking about. So this, this is a guy that's a link really to a, uh, for most of the listeners, that's a, I mean, that was, you know, before, I guess, uh, before you were born, Tony, you're talking about the, when Reagan entered office. So you're, you're talking about over 40 years ago. And, well, I was uh, born in 79. So he entered. Oh, okay. 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 I thought, um, first, okay. I thought, I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. So that's, but I mean, you know, you're talking about, this is a link to a, you know, a long, it doesn't seem like long to me, but uh, obviously it wasn't. Most of those guys are gone now. Yeah that were in the Reagan White House. So it's, it's nice to him. And he seems to be, you know, he thinks Reagan's the greatest president. So, you know, he, I'm, I'm not going to get in an argument with him, but um, you know, he, he hasn't read it. He hasn't read hidden history. No, no, he hasn't read hidden history. And, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget this reading, listening to your book and reading it too. Just the, the expose on the, the Reagan years. And uh, it was not, it was not pretty. It, you know, it wasn't exactly morning and it might, might actually have been morning in America. Like morning loss of, uh, <laughs> yeah freedoms and liberties, you know, and, and, yeah. uh, you know, when Reagan took office, the debt of the U S was just under a trillion dollars. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, of course now we it's 34 and, you know, insanely going out uh, just off the cliff. I mean, so we're, we're, we're not even the same country. I mean, Reagan in 84, as you know, Don won a 48 state landslide. Yes. Beating Walter Mondale. Yeah. Now you can't replicate that at all. There's no party yet. I mean, it, it, there will yeah. be soon enough, uh, where you could have a Democrat do that, but yeah, yeah, um, but but that was it. Wasn't that everybody was Republican? It's just that Reagan captured. There was real votes. There was well, well there was vote scam, but there's real votes of you know the blue yeah. the blue dog Democrats. Now they're what they called them the Reagan Democrats. People that just said, "Oh, the hell with this." You know, we're not voting for Geraldine Ferrara. You know, um, <laughs> it was a different world. That was the patriarchy. That was uh, white, white. The white patriarchy was in charge, and uh, that's gone. Reagan, yeah, it's gone because Reagan was a Reagan was the answer to what? How many years of? Uh, well, Nixon was in there, but Nixon really had a lot of liberalism too. Nixon was affirmative action, born under Nixon, everything. But you take him out, you had you know JFK, LBJ, and then uh, Carter. So uh, really, he was a, he was like a an Eisenhower type that came in, you know, really was a throwback to a, a bygone era. And he, a lot of those old people in Hollywood, a lot of people, old people around were, this is like, I think it was the last gasp of uh, whatever white supremacy existed. I think that was really it under Reagan. And uh, I would argue, you know, and I certainly Paul Craig Roberts, I'm sure did a great job and he's, you know, I respect him, but I think that there's a lot of parallels between Reagan and Trump because, uh, you know, Reagan, you know, he didn't cut the size of government. And you heard Paul Craig Roberts said he only had two goals and he achieved both of them. One of them was the uh, uh, the supply side economics thing, get, getting that thing through, I guess, the Roth Kemp thing. And uh, 
what was the other thing he said? In the Cold War, is that what he said? Yeah, I guess he had the end, the end of the Cold War, which he, but he said, you know, we had nothing to do with that, and it, it collapsed on its own. But so, um, if you look at it that way, yeah, sure. And I remember the '80s as a good time, but it was again, it was kind of as uh, an artificial bubble. You know, they were propping up things, and we didn't certainly something like immigration. Now we're looking at Texas. That's why I want to talk to him about that because that I tried to bring up. You know, '86. You know, that was the the last chance we had to really nip it in the bud, to quote the great Barney Fife right away, and that was, uh, you know, to to close the barn door right. and say, no, we, we, we can't do this. If you had just even kept, even if they had just granted amnesty, which they did, to, and not allowed them to bring all family members in, and then just said, that's it, uh, we would have been able to absorb that. But uh, it just opened the door, and then certainly when you had like a Bill Clinton in coming in that's you know, although i would say george w bush just like obama uh, what i'm saying from the statistics i saw uh, he deported more illegals than donald trump did so again that's it's just the numbers don't lie so uh hopefully calm specimen over in the freeworld.fm and i think i knew who that is says so she's upset she missed the whole show i'm sorry too and ho hopefully next week uh youtube i guess that's where most people listen and hopefully we'll be able to to live stream uh next week because that's where you know i'm used to putting the comments on the screen and stuff i'll be so. loading up the show uh within by tomorrow for uh, on on donald jeffries media too and we'll have this up or over on band video so i'll get all that I'll, over the weekend. I'll put i'll definitely put this on rumble too is there a way tony can we cut out at least some of that opening where we were gonna i mean i guess it's okay but it just i mean you think it would be too awkward you know for people listening to it because they're we're not even sure paul craig robertson's gonna come on so but i guess <laughs> if i advertise it as him being on people should know i think you're fine i think okay, it was yeah. it was fine it was it was you having to uh and of course your intro just kept playing i couldn't it was so weird it was uh there was no way to to adjust the volume so we just had to let it run it's just let it yeah. let it complete it's the charm of uh of uh live streaming in the uh, alternative world but uh so what so i i really want to see this is uh this is interesting stuff I, i've actually i'll probably turn into fox news again which i haven't done since they got rid of tucker but uh i want to see what they say if they're how the conservative media and that's really the only mainstream conservative media to see how they're portraying this if they are you know if they're going to talk about the 26 governors and uh, what they're planning to do. Cause I mean, this is, you know, again, I, I can't imagine anything will happen from it. Cause I, I, I tend to think that if, you know, they, they send federal troops there that they'll back on. And I don't necessarily, I don't want them to fire on them or something, but if you have, a, I mean, the trucker convoys claim just going to have 700,000 vehicles, which yeah, I think it'd be lucky to have 700, but if they have any substantial numbers, I mean, that, that'll be a good look. And it'll be really bad public relations if they have to send troops in there. But maybe they don't care about public relations at this point. No, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think a lot of this uh, has to do with the election year. But it, there's also the the reality on the ground. People are people are upset uh, with the with the open border, with um, with our failures, uh, both state and federal, but mostly federal. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. this is a might be a turning point in some in some respects. This, this is going to be a wild ride in 2024. I hope I like, you know, I just like the fact that, I mean, I don't trust Abbott. I don't trust any of these people, but I don't know about the 26 governors. I guess Christy Gnomes in there. I know she's probably one of the better ones, but I I, I don't I don't know what. Uh, but if, if they're if they're on board for this and they're if they're willing to, I mean, this would be 
You're talking about going to back in the days of Strom Thurmond, I guess, and George Wallace. When's the last time that states' rights reared its ugly head and said, no, we're not going to – I mean, when's the last time that you know that uh, states' rights came into effect where they just said, no, we're not going to obey the feds? Yes. I mean, that it's uh, it's been since the 1960s uh, that's even come close to other uh, states yeah. uh, challenging the federal government. And of course that was for the wrong cause, but uh, again, states yeah. don't have rights. States have powers. Uh, you know, I remember George Wallace, you know, yes. and, and again, challenging president Kennedy yep. with integration again, stupid cause, but the States that yep. was, I think the last time I've seen any kind of pushback from States. Yeah. Cause that's what it was associated with. And again, you're talking about the Confederacy. It's, it's too bad because we actually are watching the demise of America Somebody has to do something, you know, you can't, you can't do, you can't do nothing. You, I mean, if you, if you care about what your status is in history, I don't know if, I don't know if Greg Abbott is uh, self-reflective enough to think, to do that or if he cares or. Um, I, well, I'm just shocked. I mean, there's somebody putting you on because it, 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 this guy is, uh, you know, one of the last, I mean, it almost like, it's almost like Lindsey Graham. I mean, you know, he, well, maybe not to that degree, but he's not the kind of person, he's kind of a milk toast uh, you know, do nothing guy, as you said, for 10 years, and especially considering where he's at, you know, if Ricky Lake did, Ricky Lake, I keep saying Ricky Lake, Carrie, Carrie Lake did that, uh, despite her background, people would probably be less surprised because she did talk a lot about it and she never really had a chance to, to show that she could do it. But, uh, this guy, I mean, cause he, he let this stuff go for so long. I'm not sure what's spurring him at this point. I mean, it must really be ridiculous if they're finally decided to do something about it, because where were they for the last 10 years? Well, that's the open question. Again, I think you're seeing a lot of political triangulation. I mean, things on the ground have changed, but is, is it a good start? Yeah, it's better um, because we need other options. You can't just try to get somebody elected at the federal level. I mean, we elected Donald Trump to secure the border of the United States of America. That was not done. So, I mean, I yeah. know this because I'm in 2024. <laughs> I'm a, you know, if, uh, this is what's so weird about this entire cycle, Don, and uh, being in, in even in alternative media. I'm looking around like I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not partisan. I'm not trying to you know my guy didn't win. What I just don't even know what I'm looking at. You know, when you you tell me Donald Trump's going to to go after the globalist and secure the border and bring the troops home, I feel like I'm having a. Uh, a matrix reset psychological <laughs> breakdown. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I in 20? Am I, this is a fever dream? Am I in a coma? Is this the yeah. walking dead? Yeah. I, know. I know. And that's, that's when, that, you know, Dr. Roberts, great guy, you know, Paul Craig Roberts, but he was basically kind of saying some of that this time in Trump. And so I, I don't know, but if you, you, I think really it's kind of reaching that there are, there are millions of people that it's gotten so bad. I won't say they overplayed their hand because that's what I said about the lockdown and COVID. And obviously people showed they could take it, but maybe especially in that area of the world, I, I mean, I don't know how close you are to the border when you're in Texas or whatever, but uh, it's, I think it's just gotten so ridiculous that, you know, maybe this there's, there's more and more people there that are saying this is, this is, it's so blatant and so outrageous that we have to do something. Do you get that sense in Texas? Yes, it is ridiculous. And then, you, you know, that overflow goes you know, far no, more north than the, just the southern border. I mean, the border towns can't stand it. You know, these mm -hmm. people doesn't they're not they're like, you know, to them, you know, they're not as welcoming as the 
country club elite uh, up in you know these different blue areas or Martha's Vineyard or or you know the East Coast. Uh, so it, it is interesting to see that's that that dichotomy. The people that are actually there don't want it, you know. And uh, despite race, despite culture, it's like we don't. You know, this isn't. There's. It's not. We need uh, lawful immigration. Sure. Lawful the, movement. Those people are coming across. They're they're competing for uh, jobs. They're competing for all the resources, the government benefits, and so forth. I mean, it's just it's. It's just common sense. And, you know, any, anybody has been, it doesn't matter what shouldn't matter what your race is. If you're, if you're here for a while, why do you want more people coming and competing with you for dwindling resources? So it makes a lot of sense, but well, I appreciate it, Tony. Thanks for, you know, being uh, on beforehand and, uh, and closing up as well. It's always great to talk with you. So everybody out there, thanks for, uh, for listening in freeworld.fm and also uh, in Rockfin. And uh, hopefully we'll have YouTube back for you. Maybe anybody listening out there on Facebook, you can put comments up in Facebook. I don't know why people don't do that because I know people do <clears throat> do watch it there. But uh, for some reason, YouTube is the place where they do that. So anyhow, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed Paul Craig Roberts and Tony. Uh, it's always great talking with you. And we'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow at noon for America Unplugged. Yes, sir. See you then. Thanks, okay, everybody. see you then. Thanks, everybody, for listening to I Protest. We'll talk to you next week. Same time.